Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, um, I don't know about you, but my bracket is way busted. <laughs> I still have Gonzaga winning it all, but that's about it. Yeah, I had it's Baylor in the Final Four. That's all I got. But So uh, many upsets. Uh, the Lady Gamecocks are in the Final Four, so excited about congratulations. that. Congratulations. You know, that's had, awesome. We need something to celebrate as a Gamecock fan. That's about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> Baseball a, team's doing well. That's a good one. That's a good one. We've got the Masters coming up, you know, oh, right wow. around the corner. So Beautiful time of the year. Wow, it is. It's a great time. I love spring and, uh, you know, get the flowers out and yeah is and everything else so i know oh, by the way the the stock market has done pretty well the stock you know? market has had a great quarter wow. it did have a great quarter and um yeah i mean you know we got some 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 interesting things to talk about too um you know we're going to start off here with um why you should never try to time the stock market yeah you hear that a lot we certainly talk about it all the time and uh you know the dave, dave ramsey's of the world talk about it as well and and we've got some data and some statistics it goes all the way back steve to 19 in the 1930s so it really puts it in perspective of you know if you just leave it alone and and you know handle the ups and the downs of the market uh, over time it has turned out to be a, it's worked very well instead of trying to time it because if you try to time it uh, it's very dangerous. So we're gonna we're gonna jump into the details on that. I think most folks will will like that topic. Yeah, that's a great topic. And then we're gonna follow that up with the seven ways to wreck your financial future. Well, nice. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Yeah. So we're gonna these, tell you how to good. avoid that. These are good. These are good. These are things that you know we we actually see people doing. So uh, you want to be careful and. And so you want to pay attention to these. This would be really good. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro with over 25 years experience in doing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 28 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. Also, a lot of really cool tools out there, some calculators and some forms. So if you haven't seen that, go check it out. And also a Facebook page, MoneyMD. And uh, we have a prescription of the week every week. Yeah, and you can link to us on our website, moneymd.net. You can send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you, and we will talk about those right here on the show. But we're going to start off here, John, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is uh, interesting. Uh, you know, most analysts um, are, are very bullish on the economy. And uh, right. this gentleman, Jamie Dimon, he's the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, pretty pretty well-known individual in our industry. Uh, he basically is forecasting 2021 to be a gangbuster economy and uh, right. easily into 2022. Now, what that doesn't necessarily mean is that the stock market is – going to go gangbusters along with it. Stock market's looking out six to nine months, and it could have, you know, a, a gangbuster year from here. It, it could not. I mean, no one can predict that. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty optimistic, but at the same time, you're right. The stock market discounts all these predictions. So th those kind of predictions are already in the price. They're built in, right. They're already saying, you know, 6 7% GDP growth this year which is fantastic. I mean, that's a great recovery. Um, which is why the market's gone up. I mean, it's right, building right. We've that had in. a good four or five months here yep. because of that. Um, so it's based on expectations. If the, mar if the economy turns out lower than expectations, the market may be hurt. If it turns out better, the market may go up even more, you know, and, and do extraordinarily well. So you never can tell about these, but you're right. The, the economists that are out there, I think the general consensus is it's going to be a great year in the economy. 
and probably that will spill into next year. Um, and hopefully that translates into a great stock market. Yes. We've had a great start here so far. So anyway, interesting fact of the week. And that leads us into our first topic here um, about why you should never try to time the stock market. Yeah, this is this is data, Stephen. This is why we as advisors tell people that's very dangerous. This is from Pippa Stevens, uh, a CNBC article recently. And, uh, you know, there's some information. Uh, Bank of America has some new data that came out. And just looking back at the you know information going back to the 1930s, the firm uh, Bank of America found that if an investor sat out the S&P 500's 10 best days per decade, the total returns would have been significantly lower. And we'll go into some of those in a minute. So, you know, the, the market's best days um, typically follow the largest drops. And we saw that during the pandemic, right? Right. I mean, we were seeing 10 to 12 percent down days during the pandemic. Right. And then up days, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those days, so much volatility, you really had to, you, 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 you just can't time that. I mean, it's just so quick. It's just in huge moves, and like you said, if you miss the 10 best of those, my goodness, you are really in trouble. You really are. Yeah, time the market is very difficult at the best of times. Even the most experienced traders cannot do that consistently, and now Bank of America has kind of quantified that, just how large the missed opportunity can be for investors who try to get in and out of the market at the right moment. Um, so looking at the data going back to 1930. Um, they found that if an investor had missed the S&P's 10 best days for each decade, um, the total return would, would stand at 28%. That's it. Total return. That, Going back to 1930. That would be nothing. The inflation. That's basically nothing. Yes. You can yeah. round that down to zero, basically. But if you had stayed invested. Exactly. If you stayed invested, the return would have been 17000 715%, so over 17,000 So let me put that in perspective. If you look at the S&P 500, I went back and, and did some analysis on that because 17,000% sounds like a good number, but what does that really mean? If you would have put $1,000 in um, 1930, Steve, it would have grown to $5.5 million. That's what 17,000% increase, you know, you know, gets into. So, so basically, you know, that's staying in the market. So when stocks plunge, I mean, we see, you know, a natural impulse can be to hit the sell button. And we saw that a lot during the pandemic. Um, but but the firm found that the market's best days, like we said, often follow the b biggest drops. So panic selling can significantly lower returns for longer term investors by causing them to miss the best days. And so, you know, remaining investing during the uh, you know turbulent times can help recover losses. Uh, it does take on their uh, analysis about 1,100 trading days. So I mean, it's a couple years historically on right. bear markets to recover it. But if you're a long-term investor and you have a process in place, um, you can weather those those difficult events. Yeah, I mean, you don't even want to miss a couple good days a year because those two those good days are two or three percent, you know, in your portfolio. And you miss a couple of those, you might cut your return in half for the year. So. It's a you got to be very careful about that. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes, I mean, as it happened in 2020, the recovery is much faster. Right. I mean, the data comes, you know, amid a boom in retail traders trying to find the next Tesla or GameStop that, you know, might jump up. And um, and as fast as data driven strategies, they become, you know, more prevalent across Wall Street. It's just become a really popular thing to do and when markets are hot like this or markets have been really good um, but the bank of america they noted that you know simple investing for the long term can be a recipe for 
for lo- avoiding big losses. Mm-hmm. Um, and given that the 10-year returns of the S&P 500 have been negative just 6% of the time since 1929, you just don't ha- need to try, try to time it. Yeah, you don't have to. I mean, uh, yeah, of course, you know, those people say, well, hey, if I missed only the, the 10 you know, worst days than, than the return of each decade, then the return would be astronomical. But, you know, Steve, I mean, given the difficulty of, you know, no one can, can figure out when the peaks and the troughs are going to be. Um, so the better bet is just stay invested. I mean, that example that we use at 17,000 uh, up percent, I mean, that averages to about 10% a year. Right. And so 10% a year over, you know, 90 years, you take $1,000, it turns into $5.5 million. Now, obviously, past performance doesn't guarantee future results, but this is the history. This is what we see, and, and uh, this is why we recommend don't try to time the market. Yeah, that's exactly right. And they noted, you know, I mean, there, there are factors including, you know, positioning and momentum that typically, you know, can't outperform in the short time. But over long term, you know, the market wins over multiple years. Mm-hmm. Um, you just can't really beat the market by trying to do that timing in the short term. Um, and so, you know, valuations, they usually explain very little of the returns over the next one or two years. Um, but they've explained 60 to 90 percent of the returns over ten year a 10 year time horizon, they noted. Um, so they've yet to find any factor such as, you know, that with such strong predictive power for the market over the short term. But over the long term, valuations are important. Yeah. And so, you know, you got to invest wisely and prudently, strategically for the long term. Yeah. And be diversified. I mean, we're seeing forecasts now and this article goes into says, hey, the U.S. market is is going to you know return less than it has historically, which means Hey, maybe an international um, you know allocation is a good allocation, and making sure you have some bonds in there. So, again, that's why folks like us talk about diversification. Um, you know, if you're invested with us, we are very well diversified in U.S. and international, large and small, and value stocks, and uh, a lot of folks have bonds out there as well. So, it, it takes. You know, I had a conversation with a client this morning about you know, there's a lot of articles about you know impending inflation and. And it really takes, when you have a rebalancing process and you're diversified, it takes a need to try to guess on the markets because that is very dangerous. And we've seen some clients do that over the last year and it's hurt them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't want to have to do that. And that's the key. If you're diversified, you don't have to. Um, so you, you really just got to stay diversified. Stay you got to stay invested for the long term. Don't try to time it. It's not worth it. It, it doesn't help you. That's the bottom line. Yeah. <laughs> not statistically. So good topic. All right. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah. The question is, is why have the markets done so well, Steve, since the election? I mean, you know, the, there was doom and gloom about the election. Yeah. And the, the pandemic and so forth. And and, uh, you know, we, 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 we preach on here that politics is one of, you know, dozens and dozens of factors that impact the market. And politics can impact the market, certainly, but it's not the only factor. And this is a case in point of, you know, even with some, you know, negative feelings out there by people about, you know, whoever's going to be in the office or politics, markets are looking at earnings, right? And right. so the earnings of companies are recovering. There's been a lot of stimulus money going into the economy, a lot of pent-up demand, and so the markets are looking at earnings of companies, and that's why the markets have gone up. Exactly. I mean, we've been saying this for six months, you know, that markets are kind of apolitical. They don't really pay much attention to who's in the White House, who's winning elections. Um, you know, even the policies are very slow at making a meaningful impact in terms of the economy. 
So markets are looking at, at, you know, earnings. They're looking at companies. They're looking at, they're discounting future earnings. They're looking at earnings growth. That's what moves the markets. And, and that's usually based on the economy. And politics yep. just really doesn't have that much to play. To, to, they don't have that much influence on the economy in the short term. Yeah. And when, when there are policies that maybe impact the market or companies, companies are going to figure out a different way of doing business. I mean, you look at the pandemic and just very quickly, companies, instead of meeting in person, went to Zoom. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, they just figure out. Yeah. Surprisingly, companies were just as productive. Yeah. And so they, had, they, ca- they, had, they had an issue in front of them and they figured it out. And that's what companies do and they try to increase earnings based on the the lay of the land so yeah exactly so yeah good, good question good, good question no doubt all right and that leads up to our next topic here and that is the seven ways to wreck your financial future not something you want to do so you want to pay attention to these uh john this is based on an article out of market watch um jonathan clements very recently but john there, there are many ways to kind of fritter away your wealth and uh you know you can i mean think day trading you know, buying extens- expensive timeshares, you know, marry a spender, <laughs> that'll do it. Careful. You know, purchase limited partnerships, um, retire too early with a lot of debt, um, you know, buy leveraged exchange traded funds, mimic the spending of your wealthy friends. I mean, the list goes on and on. There are lots of ways to mess up your future. But I mean, and anybody can can ruin themselves, you know, slowly and plenty of people do. But you know, what really kind of grabs your attention is when it happens quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to blow up your financial lives, we, we got we got seven <laughs> ways here to do that um, in a hurry. So we're going to run through some of these. Um, yeah, I mean, you can mess up here. So you want to be careful. Yeah, the first one is selling stock short. And um, we heard a lot about this with GameStop recently. And, uh, you know, if you buy an individual stock or bond, I mean, the most you can lose is your original investment, and obviously that right. would be unpleasant, but not nearly as unpleasant if is if you see your investment um, and your entire portfolio employed implode, and that's really as a result of short selling. So we saw this again with GameStop and hedge funds that bet on its price decline. So those hedge funds basically had borrowed this stock and then they sold it, hoping to buy back the shares at a much lower price, but instead the game share. GameStop shares soared and the hedge funds facing unlimited losses, right? The higher it goes, the more losses. They were forced to buy back the stock at far higher prices. And I saw some stats out of January. Some of these hedge funds lost 50% in a month because of this this strategy. So yeah, that's a, that's an easy way to to blow wealth. Oh yeah. You can destroy it in a hurry. And then unfortunately this has become a pretty popular strategy. I mean, we've heard some ordinary people trying to do this and, it's extremely risky, extremely risky. And, you know, I mean, because of those potential unlimited losses, short selling is one of the most dangerous games on Wall Street, really. Lots of people, you know, like to kind of play the market, you know, with a sliver of their portfolio, kind of gambling with some of it, if you will. But, you know, if you do that, for goodness sake, don't sell stock short because that's an opportunity, I mean, really to to bet a small amount of money, but it can cost you far more than that than you ever imagined mm-hmm. and it, it, if it moves up in a hurry. So that's a bad strategy, selling short. Another one, though, John, is just invest heavily in your employer stock. Now, there are lots of people who do this, yep. right, without even that. thinking about it. Yeah. So, you know, if you think that your employer's shares are a solid investment, you know, then ponder the poor folks who 
work at maybe, you know, PG&E, yeah. um, Pacific Gas and Light, right? I mean, they um, they they could be, what could be a safer utility than a, or safer investment than a yeah. utility? Yeah, very, very stable, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, the quintessential widows and orphan stock, right? I mean, it shares, unfortunately, have shed 80% of their value over the past five years. Yeah, SC and G, SCE and G was the same way here in this area. I mean, people had, you know, most of their wealth in some of that, and it, it did not turn out well. Yeah, you didn't think that could happen, but, you know, once uh, that, that nuclear reactor, they kind of mothballed it, mm-hmm. and that, um, yep, that, tanked that, that it tanked the stock. A lot of things can happen, um, so you have to be careful. So, you know, what if you're working for a high-flying technology company? Sure, you'd want to invest heavily in its shares, maybe. <laughs> well, a decade ago, I mean, th- this guy was a business uh, was at a business dinner sitting next to a former employee of JDS uh, Uniphase, which was one of the hottest stocks back from the 90s, and it lost almost all of its value when the tech bubble burst. And so his dinner companion recounted how employees were given a special number of, of, of um, uh, shares that they could call if they wanted to cash out their stock options, which for him at one point would have been worth over a million dollars. All he had to do, he said, was pick up the phone and make the call. Yeah. He lamented. They were given a special number to do that with, but he never made the call. So he lost all of that, you mm. know. So, I mean, limit, you know, any one stock uh, to no more than 5% of your portfolio's value. That's a general rule of thumb. Um, and that's especially true if it's your employer shares. Because remember, your, your employer is the most dangerous stock you can own because you could potentially end up with both being out of work and holding a useful, a useless bunch of paper. Yeah, Yeah. right. You have two, you you don't want to bet everything on that one company, that's for sure. Exactly. You've already bet your income on it. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. The the third one here that, uh, you know, can wreck your financial future is not having health insurance. And Steve, I've run across people like this and it's very risky. I mean, a lot of folks view health insurance as a way to pay for their annual physical or the occasional prescription uh, but those are really just the fringe benefits. So, you know, why buy health insurance? Well, the really two key benefits uh, are the medical cost discounts that are negotiated by the insurance company and the policy's annual out-of-pocket uh, maximum, which basically puts a cap on your financial pain. And without those two benefits, there's there's a big risk that major medical cost can land you in bankruptcy. And in, in medical costs bankrupt people all the time. So if you find yourself with a major medical issue, then the, the total cost of treatment in some cases, can run into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you want to make sure you have a cap on that and protect yourself and not go through that bankruptcy process. It's very painful. Yeah, that's certainly a way you can ruin your future. Another one, though, John, is to invest on margin. Hmm. Um, you know, this is similar to the option strategy we just we just talked about. Yeah, I mean, if you want a shorter stock, you, you need to open a margin account, which also allows you to borrow against the portfolio's value. Um, so you can use a margin account to go long on stocks, as they say, where you buy the stock, um, but you're buying it with borrowed money um, instead, you know, used to purchase these these shares. Um, and this margin borrowing can supercharge your returns when the market's doing well, but it also can wreck you when the market or the stock does poorly. Um, but what if the stock goes down? Um, so you can get wiped out or close to it very quickly. I mean, suppose you have $50,000 in stock, then you borrow another 50000 on margin, thus kind of doubling up your stock market exposure to $100,000. Well, if the market goes down 
you know, you not only lost the $30,000, but you also are going to get a margin call because you're now below the 50, you now owe $50,000 on your $70,000 account now, <laughs> which is above the 50% margin limit. Um, so if you don't have the cash or securities to add to the account immediately, you're going to be forced to sell part or all of your holdings and lock in your losses. So if you're buying individual stocks, they can go down quickly, much more than, you know, our example that we just used here. And so it can get expensive in a hurry and the result in a, you can result in a total loss if you aren't careful very quickly. Avoid buying stock yeah. on margin. You can have more fun going to Vegas doing this stuff. Right. Take a little bit of money. You can, take a little bit of money you can lose and go to Vegas, yeah. right? Don't Oh my goodness. Don't don't, don't take your, your life savings. Yeah, don't bet your future on this kind of stuff. Another one here is um sometimes unavoidable obviously, but uh, getting divorced is is very expensive and you know, our our greatest happiness comes from those who surround us, but you know, it can also result in uh, the biggest bills um you know, if you don't marry the right person. So Obviously, you know, if you know young folks out there getting married, going through counseling, financial counseling is is recommended because unmarrying usually gets very expensive and it runs up a lot of expenses in the process. And uh, some of the largest losses we have witnessed, um, you know, when we sit down with people is, you know, they've had divorces and they've had to split everything 50-50. And it, right. that's just not a, uh, that's not a wealth building activity. Now, we're not saying stay married if you, <laughs> if you need right. to get divorced necessarily, but it is something that you, we can all counsel younger folks going into this to do counseling on the front end of it to make sure you're marrying the right person. Yeah, just be very careful. That can be really expensive. You know, we see, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of examples of that. And yeah, another way that families can cost you is loaning money to families, you know, um, co-signing on loans um, or just loaning money to them. I mean, yeah, most of the money loaned to families ends up being a gift. So be careful when you're loaning money to family or friends. It's usually better just to make a gift in the first place mm -hmm. rather than get into a relationship of being the lender to your family members. Um, but another one here on the list, John, is selling call options. Um, you know, again, this is very similar to selling stock short. Um, you know, many conservative investors, they like to write what is called covered calls. Um, and this is not particularly dangerous because it involves selling call options against stocks that you own. Um, which earns you a little bit of extra income from what's called a call premium. The problem is <clears throat> that if the stocks involved rise above the strike price that you sell that call for, they'll get called away by the buyers of the call options. That means that the option seller misses out on the gains um, over and above that strike price. And in a normal stock portfolio, there are always a few stocks that are usually a few stocks that end up gaining a lot, and they make the majority of the return for the whole portfolio. So if you limit your gains by selling those few stocks away for a small call option premium, then you're going to vastly limit the return of your portfolio, and you're usually going to underperform the market. Yeah, most people just don't realize that's the way the market works. There mm -hmm. are a small number of stocks make up the majority of the gain, so you can't afford, you don't know what those are going to be. Yeah, right? Nobody right, knows, right. right? So you can't afford to let those stocks get called away for a small premium that you would get from a from selling a call option. It's a terrible strategy, selling covered calls, you know, over time. Although it's conservative, <clears throat> it's also going to hurt you. Um, but well, on the other hand, you know, if you want to get dangerous, what about writing 
uh, call options. Um, you know, yeah, but you know, if you don't own the underwriting underlying stock, that gets really dangerous. Um, it's called a naked call option, selling naked call options. Suddenly, the strategy goes from conservative, very dangerous. Indeed, selling uncovered calls is the equivalent of selling a stock short. And as with shorting, the potential loss is huge if the shares involved shoot higher. Stock options, they're also very expensive. In our opinion, they're never a good strategy. Bottom line, stay away from call, uh, any kind of stock option. Yeah, that's right. And the last one here, Steve, to uh, wreck your financial future is not having an umbrella policy. And it's hard to know uh, how likely we are to get sued. I mean, the stats out there are hard to come by because a lot of lawsuits are quietly settled rather than contested in court. But, you know, given the potentially crippling cost, you, you want to protect yourself in this area. Homeowners will include some liability um, coverage, homeowners insurance, but it's typically capped at, say, $100,000. Auto policies can can be capped at three hundred. Uh, so for for further protection, consider adding an umbrella policy. You can get one uh, for uh, like a million-dollar policy, which kind of goes over home and auto uh, for just a few hundred dollars a year. So in addition to that financial protection, uh, an umbrella policy will ensure that the insurance company's lawyers go to bat on your behalf should you have some kind of misfortune and be sued. So umbrella policy is a great addition to your financial plan. Yeah, it's something everybody ought to consider. <clears throat> you know, um, it's not an automatic, but you need to look at your situation and see what your exposure is, what your liability is if you got sued, and consider an umbrella policy that can really protect you. So good point. Well, yeah, I mean, the bottom line here, John, is there are lots of ways to ruin your financial life if you're not careful like investing in a new business venture, for example. You know, the bottom line is you need to tread carefully when you're making new investments or big financial decisions. Get the help of a trusted professional before you're making these type of financial decisions so you don't get caught by the next unexpected turn of events and damage your financial future for, for the long haul. So, um yeah, good list. You want to be very careful there for sure. And that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this uh, prescription has to do with um, charitable uh, mindsets, if you will. So there's a, an, a, an account called a donor advised fund. Yep. And basically you can contribute uh, money or appreciated security. So, you know, we, we are running across people that have had... Um, you know, uh, luck, if you will, in the Tesla stock is an example, Apple stock that has just off the chart increased in value. And so, you know, a donor advice fund is a place that you can gift that stock and you can get the charitable deduction for it, it depends on the amount, obviously. Um, but it, it's not going to cost you anything. And from there, you can then donate it to a charity. So it's a way to avoid capital gains tax. Right, right. If you itemize your, your deductions, then then you get to, to write off your, your gifts to charity. And giving it to a donor advised fund is basically giving it all to charity at one time. Mm -hmm. So you get to write off the appreciated value of that as long as they're long-term gains um, in, that, in whatever stock or fund that you're giving to it. And then you can you can direct that donor advised fund to give it out to your charities over time. So yep. it's a way to give a whole bunch of money at once, get the tax deduction if you're qualified, and then dole it out over time to your charities over the course of a year or two or even longer. Um, and and a lot of these donor advised funds will allow you to invest the money too. They'll sell the stock and then they'll reinvest it into a portfolio 
Um, and so these are a great tool. You want to use these if you're giving money to charities uh, routinely. Um, you know, this allows you to bunch it up all in one year. So maybe you qualify for your for the uh, for the itemized deduction for that year. You can exceed the twenty four thousand eight hundred. That's the standard deduction for a married couple. Um, if you bunch several years up in one year. Yeah. Yeah, we, it's a great strategy. And yeah, we see people using this as well in, in a high tax year. So maybe they're going to retire right. in, you know, next year in 2022 and they're in a high tax bracket in 2021. And if you have the available funds or an appreciated, you know, security, you can dump it all in in 2021 and, and maximize your tax deduction associated with it. So it's a great strategy. If you have questions, we can certainly help in your situation. Yeah. If you're charitably inclined, you want to explore that, give us a call. We'd love to help you figure out how to how to use that to your advantage. Okay, well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 